Shepherds and wolves. I hope you remember something I said back in our last series when we were looking at the idea of being disciples. One of the things I said was it's okay to teach more than you do. That when we're teaching people, when we're discipling people, there's times that we will teach them things that we understand and know from the scriptures, and we may not be perfect at them ourselves. And so, but that doesn't relieve us of the duty of actually teaching those things anyway, because that's what I'm going to be doing a lot of in the future, is I'm going to teach you things that I may not do perfectly well myself, as far as when it comes to being a shepherd. It's difficult I think in a lot of cases for pastors, for shepherds to deliver sermons on shepherds to talk about ourselves and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to relate. But this has been something that's really been growing on my heart and there's a lot of uh, biblical evidence that we should be learning the difference between shepherds and wolves. The shepherd and sheep metaphor is really used throughout the entire Bible. Uh, some of the most well-known and beloved pass passages that we know rely on this imagery, uh, some that we're very, very familiar with. I, I want to just start off highlighting what is probably the ultimate example of the shepherd metaphor used in Scripture. It starts off in Psalm 23. You may know that verse, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Scott already read John 10, 11 later on built on that metaphor laid out in Psalm 23 Jesus in John 10:11 says I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep claiming to be that good shepherd the Lord from Psalm 23 and then the culmination of the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 7 verse 17 it says for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The first and most, most important question that we must ask ourselves and settle, is the Lord Jesus your shepherd? Is the Lord Jesus your personal shepherd? Is he the one that you entrust your soul to? to look out for and to lead you by the still water so that you will not want? Is he the one you put your faith in? There is nothing more important than that. And everything I have to say bases itself on that fact. Is the Lord Jesus your good shepherd? If you have your Bibles, you'll want to turn to Acts, possibly uh, Acts 20 uh, and find the 17th verse. We're going to be studying a, a large passage uh, for our time, Acts 20, 17 through 38. This is going to be our launching pad uh, for the beginning of our study describing what a commendable shepherd is. Uh, notice I didn't use the word good shepherd. I've been trying to figure out what did I identify my role as because I'm not the good shepherd, or nor do I want to be the good shepherd. That's that title is reserved for one and one alone. So we're going to be using this passage uh, for our launching pad to figure out what a commendable shepherd is, what an a, uh, uh, adequate shepherd is in our day and time. There's just a couple of things about this passage. Uh, this is the only speech uh, from Paul in the book of Acts, where Paul actually speaks and talks uh, himself. And interestingly enough, Luke was present uh, during this speech. Uh, much of the book of Acts, Luke has done research and talked to people, but in this particular case, he was actually present when 
when Paul came and spoke. And uh, this is a first-hand uh, experience of the highlights of Paul's uh, speech there in Acts. Starting with verse 17. You can advance the slide, please. Now from Miletus, he sent uh, to Ephesus and was called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials uh, that happened to me through plots of the Jews. And that's pretty much as far as we're going today. Uh, let me first talk about why I think this topic is so, so important and so applicable to, to our day. These uh, ideas come from things I've experienced. They're really born out of real life. As we travel on our own discipleship journeys, and now as we've highlighted over the last month or so, uh, our commission to likewise help others on their spiritual journey, uh, and, and one of the most important things we will do is find for ourselves and help guide other people to sound shepherds. It may be more important, thank you. It may be more important in the day in which we live in to find and guide people to sound shepherds than ever before. I was talking to someone just yesterday uh, that they were, that's just what they were doing. They had started this discipleship journey with someone else and they were helping them find a church. Because one of the things we need to do when we disciple people is we need to be involved in their lives on that small accountability part, but we also need to help them find a larger body, a church body to plug into and to be part of. This is part of what we'll be doing. And so helping them find someone who will kind of be that shepherd over them is very, very important. You may not realize it, but in our current culture, it's far more important that we are aware of the difference between shepherds and wolves than ever. Because you now literally have an access to an entire world of voices. You can literally listen to anybody you want to listen to. And likewise, you can find whatever it is you want to hear. That passage that talks about they will accumulate for themselves people with itching, uh, accumulate for themselves prophets that will tell them what they want to hear in 1 Timothy, that happens today. I've actually experienced people who I've given advice to, sound biblical advice, and their response was, well, I found a preacher in California who said such and such, and so that's who I'm going to listen to. Well, let them be your shepherd then, right? And so because that person said what they wanted to hear. I was having another conversation with somebody this week that, that people are finding what they want and they choose their shepherd based on if the shepherd's telling them what they already want to hear in the first place. The problem is there are preachers out there, there are shepherds out there that should not be followed. They're what the Bible calls wolves, and we're going to talk more about that in the future. Understand this, that the shepherd you listen to and that you allow to care for your soul is one of the most important decisions you will ever make. The person you're going to give, here's my soul, watch out for it. Feed it, protect it, guard it with your own life, and serve it. What more precious thing do you have to give and allow someone to speak into your life? 
And that choice should not be done carefully. And I tell you this, another thing I see happening in our world, it's more important to pick a good shepherd than a good pasture. I've actually talked with people who said, you know, I go to this church because X, Y, Z. The pastor, they have this program that I like, or they allow me to do this thing, or, or there are certain people that I get to associate with over there. The pastor, eh, he's not so good. The shepherd, I got some questions about him. But the, past, the grass is so much greener over there. And so let me tell you, I think picking your shepherd's more important than picking your pasture. Pasture. The barn that you go to. Over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at both shepherds and that those who care well for the flock of God and wolves, those who are at least don't properly tend to God's sheep and at worst seek to destroy them and consume them. And so as we look at this passage today, you may notice that there's one line underlined there. You know that from the time Paul is saying, from the time I set foot in Asia, I serve the Lord with all humility. You can advance the slide, please. Die again. The humble shepherd. The number one quality of a competent shepherd is humility. I will go even further. The number one characteristic that God values of any disciple is humility. That not only should your shepherd be such, uh, humble, but that we are all to be humble. This is one of the, the traits that God honors and cares about the most. From Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you can have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is Christ. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And the next verse goes on to say that because of this, God raised him up and set him in the most honored place. Humility and the humble shepherd is one of the most important things. Today, uh, just a quick definition of what humility is. Uh, this is something that you can remember or that I like. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less. We have this false idea that humility is kind of putting ourselves down. When it comes to a shepherd, you, you want a competent shepherd. You want someone who has confidence in their abilities and in their message and in what they do. So you don't want someone who's just always kind of playing down themselves. But you just want somebody who doesn't think much about themselves or think about themselves often. So humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Today we're going to just kind of unpack what humility is. We're going to actually have five facets of the humble servant, five facets of the humble shepherd to write a descriptive statement to add to aid in identifying a life-giving shepherd. By the end of the day, we're going to have a, a statement that we can use to kind of hold up and say, does this person represent the humble shepherd well? So five facets of the humble shepherd. Number one, 
Humility that comes from understanding the under-shepherd position. The first thing that a good shepherd, or not a good shepherd, the good thing that a qualified shepherd will embrace is that he's an under-shepherd. That he's not the shepherd. Psalm 80 verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth. The Bible there in Psalm 80 says, God is the shepherd. In Colossians 1.18, it tells us that Jesus is the head of the church. And so anyone who serves as a shepherd in the church serves under Jesus and under God. They are an under-shepherd. And they, there's a difference in being the shepherd and being an under-shepherd. And so worst humility is that the person that you're following recognizes they're under the authority of God. And never confuse those two. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, it talks to the shepherds of the church, to the elders. It says, To the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in charge, being examples to the flock. In verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading glory. Now, we'll come back at some point and unpack this whole verse in a different way. But the point I want you to see there is that those who are given shepherds are supposed to realize that one day the chief shepherd's going to show up. And then he will reward those who have been faithful. One of the greatest theological mind I've ever been exposed to was my professor. His name was Dr. John Hammett. In the church world, he was an ecclesiologist. Ecclesiology was his specialty. And if you don't know what that is, that's the study of the church. He was a church expert. One of the most brilliant minds, widely read, wrote books, admired him greatly. This man served in a local church you want to guess what position this great Ph.D. author, uh, church specialist served in his church? He taught the 7th and 8th grade boys Sunday school. One of the most humble men I ever knew. And it was that humility that made me listen to him the most and believe what he said. And so the first aspect, go ahead, the first part of our statement is that the qualified shepherd or the competent shepherd is an under-shepherd. Second point. Humility that comes from recognizing the equality of disciples. Humility that comes from recognizing the equality of disciples. The qualified shepherd, and this happens in this world, people like to hold their shepherd up on a pedestal. They like to think of them as a little bit better, a little bit more holy, a little bit more righteous, a little bit, you know, lofty. And the problem is shepherds can get duped into believing it, that they're a little bit better. And that's why when one falls, 
off that pedestal, it either causes great pain, which will lead to doubt, which often will lead to people distancing themselves from God because this man that they admired let them down. Or if they don't want to deal with the pain, then oftentimes they will compromise. They will make compromises on truth so that they can excuse the bad behavior of this person that they held up. Let me ask you, don't put your shepherd on a pedestal. Realize that he is just like you, fulfilling a role in the body that God's assigned him. And he's not particularly special. Paul points this out in the letter to Timothy. This is what he says to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent uh, opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Thus, this saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might be displayed his perfect patience and example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That we are positioned, that an under-shepherd is a role that God assigns to people because God chooses to do that. This is one of those, we all have little weird things we believe about the Bible, I, I think. I have a lot of little weird things I believe that I can't prove. One of those that I sometimes think about is that I, when I get to heaven and I can find out these things, I'm going to find out if all pastors, if all shepherds, actually could trace their lineage back to the tribe of Levi. That if we were all, that the reason we do what we do is because we end up in being what God said we would be to, anyway. But what I do know is that the, God, the role that I serve is because God assigned me or called me to do this. And so my part in the body is like any other part in the body. It's a part of the body. And so let me encourage you, revere God, not your shepherd revere God and not your shepherd. Now, the Bible does instruct us about how to get along with our shepherd. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 talks about listening to them and, and, and you know, kind of honoring them as that role, but never to revere them. And so, a good shepherd recognizes, you can go ahead, a qualified shepherd recognizes that he has an equality with others. That he's a believer serving God the best he can, like all believers are serving God the best they can. So we have an under-shepherd who shares an equality with others. The next facet of this humility is humility that manifests itself in personality, personal presence, pomp, and popularity. I put a bunch of words up there because I couldn't really decide how I wanted to describe that. Here's what I'm talking about. Christianity is big business. Books, entertainment, singing, movies, television, speakers, conferences, all generate millions and millions of dollars in the Christian world. 
And because of that, we've created a world of Christian celebrities. And there's a, even what I would call a Christian cult of fame and the famous. And it's become more about the people and about the famous than it has about Jesus. And so when you pick a shepherd, you need to be able to say, is this personality about Jesus or about themselves? Is, is this personal presence, you know, is, is, this, is this a church built on a personality and a person's personal presence? Is it all about the pomp and how they look and how they present themselves and how good looking they are or how hip they are? Or how popular they are, that this is, this is really the cool cat and going world. And that we follow people because of their pomp and their personal presence and their personalities and their popularity. That's a bad reason to choose a shepherd. And if you have to get to a place where you can ask the question, well, what is this all about? Is this about them or is it about Jesus? And if Jesus isn't lifted up as much as the person is lifted up, you're probably making a decision on something else. Just compare what the Bible tells us about Satan and Jesus himself. In Isaiah 53 verse 2, it says, this is talking about Jesus. He grew up before us like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That Jesus was plain. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, it tells us, though, but no wonder. And this is a passage about wolves that we'll come back and unpack at some point. But this is how he describes these wolves. Don't expect them to be like this. Why? No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan's all about the pomp and the personality and the popularity and being that big person. And all the time, he's Satan. Paul fleshed it out like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, For why there is jealousy and strife among you? Are you not of the flesh and behaving like in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another one says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants. Though through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who water are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul makes it very clear He was uninterested in fame. He didn't want the credit. But oh, that's, look how many people I saved. Look how many people I baptized. Look how many people I got coming to my church. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 23 against this type of Phariseeism. Phariseeism was, was religious elites that loved fame. And things he said to be a guard against, that, they, that these Pharisees, these religious elites, liked places of honor. They liked greetings in the marketplace. How you doing, Pastor? How you doing, Reverend? How you doing, Reverend? They liked prestigious titles. He, he, ends in, uh, he says this in verse 12 of Matthew 23, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. 
And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the person that is a qualified shepherd has an unassuming presence. An under-shepherd who shares in equality with others and displays an unassuming presence. The next facet. Humility that manifests in open-mindedness and thinking. A humility that, my, that manifests itself in open-mindedness and thinking. Here's a couple of statements you need to be able to make sure you hear your shepherd say, probably on a regular basis. I don't know. I might be wrong. I need to research and study and learn a bit more about that. I'm not 100% sure about this, but here's what I think. In my opinion, for what that's worth, here's what I think. And to the best of my ability, here's what I believe. If you don't hear your shepherd making those kind of humble statements, that's a warning sign. People who purport to have it all figured out, who have an answer for everything, who declare all they say and think and preach is complete and absolute truth, should scare the socks off of us. Here's what the Bible says about Job. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So God himself gives Job this accolade. There's nobody like him. By the end of the book of Job, in verse, uh, chapter, starting with chapter 38, 39, and 40, Job ends up going, uh, I'm going to shut my mouth now. Because I ain't got it all figured out. God just pointed out to me all the stuff I don't know about him. And so if Job, who there was none like, needs to shut his mouth before God and, and, and has to admit, I don't understand all there is about God, well, I'm probably less than Job. Paul himself throughout the New Testament talks about mysteries, about things he didn't fully understand and that God was revealing to him, things he was learning. He called God's will a mystery. He called human resurrection and the rapture a mystery. He called Christ himself was a mystery, that the Gentile proclamation, that going to the Gentiles and that they were part of God's plan, that was a mystery for a long time, that the gospel was a mystery, that faith was a mystery, and that godliness was a mystery to Paul. All these things he identifies as mysteries, things he's figuring out, things he's trying to understand and grow in, things he's trying to learn more about. 1 Peter 1, 2 even alludes that God is doing things that the angels in heaven are wondering about. That those who are in God's presence don't understand all that there is to understand about God and all that He's doing. Here's the truth. To understand God completely, you would have to be God Himself. And so anyone who says they got it all figured out should make us afraid. And it's to ignore the, uh, what the Bible teaches us about ourselves. In Hebrew, in Proverbs, the book of wisdom says in, in chapter 3, verses 5, 6, and 7, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 28, 6, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but the one who walks in wisdom will be safe. And so the Bible tells us that we should always hold what we think with a high level of suspect, that we, we are always willing to learn. What this proves about a person who will say those things and think this way is one, it shows that they have a willingness to listen. It shows they have a willingness to grow and learn. And here's the truth, I believe. If someone is honest about what they don't know, it lends credibility to what they do know. If someone's brave enough to say, I don't know this, and I'll try to learn that and try to figure that out, doesn't that make when they say, but I'm pretty sure about this, doesn't that give strength to the things they do teach? And so this person, this qualified shepherd is a continual learner. Someone who always is saying, there's more about God for me to learn. And that's good news for us because if, you, if your shepherd continues to learn, that means the people who follow him continue, can continue to learn also. So an under-shepherd who shares an equality with others and displays an unassuming presence who will be a continual learner. And the final facet of this type of humility of a qualified shepherd. Humility that restrains because of a cautious fear. Humility that restrains because of a cautious fear. So I gave you a list of things that you should hear a shepherd say. I'm going to give you a list of things you shouldn't hear a shepherd say. I'm qualified. I always wanted to be a shepherd. I am completely ready for this. I got this. This is what I always hoped I could do. My dad's one advice when I told him I felt like the Lord was calling me. This was after him serving for 20 some years in the church. He said, my only advice is try everything else first. Make sure. James 3, 1 through says, James chapter 3 verses 1 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That anyone who takes on the role of shepherd should do that cautiously with fear. That one day the chief shepherd's showing up and he's going to expect you to have lived an exemplary life. He's going to judge the work and judge you stricter. That you need to lead. You need to be cautious about joining these ranks and you need to be cautious about how you lead because you will give an answer to God. This, thing, this idea keeps me quite literally awake at nights. Jeremiah 23 verses 1 through 3 says this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds, who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. When it comes to being a wolf, and this is sliding over in that wolf category, people should be very cautious because though they may get away with it in this world, one day the chief shepherd's showing up and he's going to define and decide who's been qualified shepherd 
and who's really been wolves. And that fear should make us serve with reverence. Serve with reverence. Reverence is an appropriate and healthy fear of God. And so we will add that statement, serve with reverence. That leads us to a statement that you can take home and hold up to anyone that you would allow and offer your soul to. Here's my soul. Take it, shepherd it, care for it, feed it, protect it, die for it. A good, a qualified shepherd is an under-shepherd who, care, who shares an equality with others and displays an unassuming presence who will be a continual learner and carefully serves with reverence. As I think about Paul and all that I know about him, as he makes that statement, you guys know I have served the Lord with all humility. I see these qualities in his life. And I think these are good qualities as we start to separate the shepherds from the wolves. Here's our first statement that we can hold up. And I repent for the places where I don't fit into this definition very well. My hope and my aim is that I will continue to grow to be an under-shepherd who shares with an equality with others, displays an unassuming presence, and who will be a continual learner and who will carefully serve with reverence.